welcome to One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show where each week we're joined by a new personality who we signed to a one day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network powered by Ortho Carolina. Check out some of our network mates, Not What You Think, and the Great British Drafting Show for more great talk about your favorite team. Follow the Riot Network on Twitter at the Riot Network to stay up to date on all your favorite pods. Subscribe, rate, love us wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Nikki Wolf. With me, as always, Josh Klein, managing editor for the Riot Report, co-host of It Is What It Is, and has gone from growing a mustache, ironically, to maybe I should keep this mustache. So quarantine's going great over there. Yeah, it's um, I think this is how mustaches come to be. Like you, you come out of the shower once, and you kind of like you shave your beard, but then you leave the mustaches like a joke, and you come out of your bathroom and you walk into the kitchen, and you're like, "Hey, what do you think?" And your wife looks over at you, and she's like, "Oh," not like, "Ha ha ha, you look dumb." More of just like, "I'm interested." And all of a sudden, it's been four or five days, and the next time that you go to shave, you're like, "You know what? Maybe I'll just leave this mustache." And then all of a sudden you're you're a mustache guy and uh you know i think while we're still quarantined we're all in this together so i can i can get through this time with a mustache but i feel like once once we start opening things up uh this thing's gonna have to go i I just don't i don't know if i can honestly be a mustache guy for the rest of my life it's like when you like when you quit smoking cigarettes it's like yeah i'm gonna quit but you know in like three or four weeks you're gonna be drunk at a bar you're having another cigarette (laughs) why don't you just keep it going through no shame november and then like Uh, december December start over i mean i know we've been we've been uh in our houses for a long time what month is it right now till november (laughs) i'm gonna keep this thing going why not uh i mean sure whatever Uh, i'll I'll just make promises i'm not gonna keep that's what I'm doing here at home, so it's totally fine. See, the gutters just, are gonna get cleaned out really soon. I got, I, I'm just really busy today, and uh, and then tomorrow I got a lot of work on my plate, so no time. I mean the draft, so it's like it's tough for me to get to the gutters. Uh, see, it's, it's just, yeah, it's all about consistency. Just keep it going all through your life. Mm-hmm. And also with us, as always, Colin Hoggard, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report, and has thoughts on Michael Jordan's history over the Hornets. How are you feeling over there, Colin? Oh, oh, how wonderful was it just to bathe in the glory that is Michael Jordan for two hours. Thank you, ESPN and Netflix. It's been a while since we've all been able to praise ESPN, so it feels good to do that once again. Um, I do have a question for everybody. Um, How long... Can, is it socially acceptable to leave a, a child, just hypothetically, let's say three to five years old, in one of those inflatable plastic balls outside? Like you know, in the kind, like the kind when, like, remember Cam was playing the game and he was like running around. I think it was, they were calling it like knocker ball or something like that. They're the big inflatable yeah. ones. If they're, like I mean, I mean, he's kind of guaranteed to be six feet away from everybody, right? If he's in the, one of those balls. I think you can go to daycare at that point. So how long can he go to daycare in the big in the big ball? These are the questions that America needs needs answers to, Senator Jackson. <laughs> Put it out it's there. Pro- it's probably the safest place that you could be. So I say, why not? Just, Hamster balls like, for everybody. Like if you if you had like 90 of those things and they were just allowed to roll around in a park and just give parents peace for four to six hours, whoo, you selling like hotcakes. 
Just dip them, just dip them in disinfectant after you're done. <laughs> well, let's introduce our guest on the one day contract this week. Vincent Richardson, analyst at the Riot Report, co-host of the Great British Drafting Show, and has used this quarantine to watch tape on almost 400 prospects heading up to the weekend's draft. Welcome, Vincent. Hello. Vincent, where? Consciously 400, or are we counting like 22 or on the screen at a time, and you watch 20 games? <laughs> no, so I've I've watched. I, so I think I took the top 400 prospects on CBS's board, and I think I've watched all of them, or at least I had at one point. Their board does change, so I think I'm, I'm now north of 400. Who was the worst prospect you've watched? I don't know, but there are a lot of really bad cornerbacks. Like <laughs> the thing. I think you get like at some positions like cornerback, there are like some pretty core athletic traits that players have to have to work. And so there are players where you get like 30 seconds in, you're like, well, this guy just isn't, just can't run fast enough or change direction quickly enough. And you have to keep watching to kind of be like, right, I need a little bit more detail on exactly like the rest of his game. But you're, you're pretty sure after 30 seconds that he's, he's, he's not going to be good. Vincent, we want a name. I want a name of uh, the worst corner in college football. And we want, and I'm going to apologize if he's listening. The the bottom corner on my board is Debion Renfro from Texas oh, A&M. Debion, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Tough, tough, bad beat. Five minutes into the pod, you got your name shouted out though, which is nice. We yeah. just lost he, the entire state of Texas. He can run fast in a straight line, but that is pretty much his only positive aspect. <laughs> so when the Raiders sorry. take him in the third round, you'll know that Vincent was right on the money. <laughs> He's fast. One fast got, in a straight line. I got through seven episodes of Tiger King. Couldn't get through the eighth, the reunion thing. And I, I was patting myself on the back. I, 400 prospects is insane, Vincent. Yeah, yeah. I, I would just, once we're, now that we're uh, like right here, I just want to tell Vincent that the Great British Drafting Show, I feel like when I listen to it, it makes me super smart. Uh, if you haven't listened, there's still time. Uh, they have every week, they've been going through every single positional board. You just got to start in the morning, start. Right after this podcast is over, 8 a.m. on Wednesday, ignore your children, ignore your work, and just listen to uh, Vincent telling you about the worst corners in the league or in college. Now, when you say you feel super smart, is it because of the accents or because of the football analysis, just so we're clear? It's a little bit of both. I certainly take what Vincent says and what Ollie says, and I use it as my own opinion, which I think is pretty much what everybody does. Like it, it's it why makes, you would listen to a drafting show. Exactly. Well, it makes me drill that. It makes me like want to watch more tape. Like when I watch, when I hear them talking about like you know the fourth defensive like Adabuke, I'm just like I gotta watch this guy. Josh want to watch more tape. Theoretical Josh <laughs> wants to watch more tape. <laughs> There's a difference between wanting to and actually, but (laughs) (laughs) well, we start the show with Nikki's super important question, and we got to go back to uh, to to MJ, the the last dance. I got to know exactly what did you guys think of those first two episodes? I need more from you, Colin. I I wanted more from them. I I wanted the Carolina segment to be four episodes all to itself. I wanted four for each, you know, just for for him beating Johnny Dawkins for the scoring title, you know, the, all of it. And, um, I didn't really feel like it kind of picked up until kind of the second half. Like I thought, I thought it was a good glimpse for everybody, but I, I wanted, I won't, I was really hoping this was going to be, we're going to get to sink our teeth in, but maybe it's, we're 20% in. We'll see. We'll see. 
Yeah, I think it's it was one of those things where it's like everybody was so exciting, so excited to have some look not only to to watch and to kind of watch as as a collective sports fan nation, but just to like get excited for, you know, like that you could get excited for um, for this. You knew that this was going to be happening at 9 p.m. on Sunday. So something to look to for the whole week and kind of it was everybody was talking about it throughout the weekend. And, and I think. Cameron was like, Colin, let me tell you something. <laughs> I'm going to chug this whole glass of whiskey that's sitting on the chair next to me. Like <laughs> if, if it would have been tough for them to live up those expectations, but I think they did a nice job of kind of setting the table for a 10 hour documentary because I'm in, they could have had all 10 hours and I would have been, I would have stayed up all night Sunday to watch it. I wonder if this doesn't revitalize the DVD. Because I got to be honest with you, if they release one, particularly if they got extra hours of, of footage, I haven't bought a DVD in a decade. But if they release that box set, I might I'm, I might just have to have that forever. I don't know, y'all. I might have to buy a DVD in 2020. Maybe or they several still, of them. As a package deal with the 23 Jordan coffee table book that what happened to the what happened to the art of the coffee table book? I feel like that doesn't exist anymore. Right. Or am I just not running them? coffee table book circles yeah you just yeah. you just don't hang out with people that have coffee tables <laughs> you have driveways well, we, hey, just, everybody bring we just sit right on the cardboard box out to the driveway so i can check out what you what you got laying around <laughs> yeah we just have a, oh the history of ford very interesting jerry good looking out <laughs> unfolded Vincent, cardboard box in the did middle you of watch? my living room uh, i have not watched no i i might watch it at some point but basketball is somewhere down my list of kind of sporting interests but yeah it's been wonderful to have you on the show vincent thank you very much for contributing, <laughs> and we look forward to having you on next year absolutely bad bit bad beat bad beat for michael jordan and uh i forgot his name already which is also not great for the for rod, the corner rod for the higgins, where was rod higgins why did he not comment on the cocaine circus he was on that team <laughs> Colin, did you get? I would watch a ten-hour documentary on the on the cocaine circuits. I I'm not going to talk about what happened to me during because they started showing the, the Carolina clips and just start reminiscing a little bit. That's all. It happens. Happens to the best of us. I, I, just, most- I haven't seen live sports in a month. I was weak. I mean, I got my own stuff going on. I'm not saying it was just <laughs> Last Dance documentary, but you know, it was tough there for a moment. <sighs> Dean looked so good. Oh, it's great, Dean. Miss you. Man, Roy was the star of that thing, too. I feel like we should just maybe, you know what, Vincent? Maybe just come back in like an hour and we'll be done <laughs> talking about the Last Dance documentary. Because, man, when Roy told that story about how Michael said that he worked as hard as anybody else and he was like, well, I thought you said you wanted to be the best player that ever was. I was like, yes, Roy. Mm, you got him. it! you got him. Every every North Carolina dad, every dad was like, what? Michael Jordan walked into a room and there was drugs and women. And he stopped and said, I'm not going to be part. Hey, Junior, Junior, come see this. Michael Jordan said, no, you can too. By the way, just to be clear, Michael Jordan said yes to a lot of those drugs and alcohol. I'm 100% sure. I don't know if I'm breaking news on this podcast, but sorry, Mike. Pure as the driven snow, Josh. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
They kept him in a hermetically sealed container between basketball games. Absolutely. They unleashed him on the world. Phenomenal to watch. I just want to meet the tailor that was making the suits for these guys back during yeah. this time because, wow, those were something special. I mean, that uh, was clearly classic French attire. I mean, he was going, I mean, that was peak MJ Nike fashion Easto rolling off the plane in France with the beret and then like the long, you know, blanket that no man can pull off except for, you know, Michael Jordan. <laughs> Oh Lord, yeah, that's something. That's something special. All right, it's draft week. Let's dive into it. So let's first just kind of do an overall look at the draft. Um, Vincent, what do you think of this overall draft class? So yeah, I think it's obviously draft class has got like different aspects to them. I don't think it's the best draft at the very very top. Like I don't think this is going to be a draft that produces like a ton of like surefire immediate superstars. But I do think it's it's very, very deep in terms of the quality you're going to get on day two and even maybe even early day three. Like the the drop off is much more gradual than normal between sort of pick, say, five and pick 105. Like there really is a very, very slow decline until, you know, you, you, they'll be getting good quality starting NFL players well into the third round with a fairly consistent basis, I'd have thought, um, which is not what you get in most draft classes. Um, though obviously for teams picking right at the top, the fact that there aren't these kind of a load of surefire home run future Hall of Fame picks maybe is not great. Is there a is there like another historical draft class that's kind of that that has that like lo- that small kind of tip of the iceberg and then there there's three or four maybe even five six great players and then it's all kind of like regular starters in the nfl like what do you mean when you mean the players are the same between 10 and 100 obviously so, not the same but yeah I mean, obviously there is a drop off but it's it's more that kind of so like 2014 is, is probably the best example i can think of with limited research where you've got like you know khalil mack great player um odell beckham great player aaron donald great player but then you've got a load of players who are like you know harkar clinton Dix, cj mosley Taylor Lewan, you know, um, Teddy Bridgewater, for example, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is not sort of, you know, Derek Carr. It's those kind of players where like Teddy Bridgewater is a good NFL quarterback. Derek Carr is a pretty good NFL quarterback, but they're not the kind of, you know, going to carry a franchise for the next 20 year type player. And obviously, you know, no draft is exactly the same and and there are differences and stuff. But I think 2014 is the one that I can sort of, you know, compare it best to in that there were a lot of like good players who came out of that draft even if there weren't a ton of star like superstar players that came out of that draft so where do you think it drops off and I'd, I'd be curious to know your answer and colin's answer too like who do you think is in that very top tier because obviously the panthers are drafting seven i don't think there are seven top tier players in this draft i, I would imagine you don't either no, I mean, so I think the quarterbacks make it a bit difficult because, like, I, I'm not sure Tua and Burrow are both in, like, the very top tier of quarterback prospects, but because they're quarterbacks, they're probably, that that does change some things in terms of their kind of value. But in terms of non-quarterbacks, I mean, you've got Tua and Burrow, and then you've probably got uh, Chase Young, Akuda, and Jerry Judy would be the guys I'd put in that kind of, like, re- probably going to be really good players like star players fairly early on type players. And and that doesn't mean that everyone other than them is, can't be a star player. But I think you're looking at players who are, you know, Tristan Wirfs 
is probably my number four player on my board. Like, certainly the non-quarterbacks. And, like, he could be a really, really, really good offensive tackle. But there aren't many offensive tackles in the NFL who are kind of, you know, superstar players. And he's more like just be like a very good starter. And, you know, there's obviously some people would say, you know, other players and all kinds of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I think it's kind of that, that sort of the top three non-quarterbacks. And then there's really quite a, a, a bit of a step. But then there's just this plateau that kind of goes on for a very long time. Yeah, I we when we were talking to Joe Marino last week, two weeks ago, I don't all the days are running together. Um, uh, he was basically saying that he would trade down out of the seventh pick for everybody except for Joe Burrow, and if Joe Burrow wasn't there at seven, he's going to trade down. And I don't think it's that serious. I think there are a few more. Personally, I think it's there are four guys at the top of this draft. I think for me, it's Burrow, Tua, um, Akuda, and Young. And I think those four guys are are far and away better than um, than than the next kind of next tier of guys that are available. Uh, and obviously, with the seventh pick, you probably are not going to get one of those four. Although, you never know. Colin, how many how many special top tier shoot the moon type players do you see in this draft class? Well, I I think you have to extend it because did you guys include Isaiah Simmons? in your in your top tier i mean doesn't he have to be in that and you can argue that he has to be unlocked um potentially depending on how you want to use him or you could just plug him in you know potentially at safety i think isaiah simmons from everything that everybody says about him is that level I, i'm a little curious you know uh, uh, about Derek brown too because i feel like he was a guy that was pushed up into that top five discussion and as we've gotten further away from the games He's gotten pushed further down kind of draft boards. Um, and, you know, so I, I, do you include him or because I worry from a Panther standpoint, if you don't take Brown there, like if you assume that he's he's one of the guys that's sitting there, you, you were not talking about a Cuda sitting there or something crazy hasn't happened. But Derek Brown sitting there that do you not lock yourself into a situation where you have to take one in either the second or third round? And then you're, you know, that's because I think you need starters on this defensive front line. We know we always talk about ideally you're not going to draft them. But as I look at the top of the draft, I think, I think, you know, if you're a Panther fan, you want to believe that Simmons and Brown are in that top tier because otherwise you're, you're right on that, that shelf where you don't want to be. Yeah. For me, I don't have those guys in that in that top tier, but that doesn't mean they're not, they can't be good players and they can't be even special players. But I think that, that for me, when I'm talking about like the, the guys that are like the top, top tier. And I think Vincent, you talk about these with like first round grades and second round grades. It's like the top, top tier are guys that I think have the chance to, to change your friend, like, like Cam Newton, like Christian McCaffrey, like Luke Keekley. Like, let me give you another example of somebody like, Okay, so DJ Moore is a very good player, and but I'm not nice sure that player. he's going to – I don't think he's going to change the, the Panthers franchise. Same thing for Shaq Thompson. Like, sorry, Shaq, if you're listening, but uh, I, I think he's a very good player and, and does a lot of great things on defense, but I don't know if he's – he's not the guys – he's not the guy that the offense is scheming around, and I think there are only a few guys in each draft class. Sometimes there are 12 guys in the draft class when it's a particularly good one, and obviously hindsight is 2020 when you look back at got at other draft classes. But for me, I think those top four Burrow, Young, Tua, and Akuda are guys that the other team is going to be week one next year is going to be like, okay, well, what are we going to do about 
uh, this guy. Yeah, I think the the one other thing I would say there, particularly about like the the the, the uh, Simmons is quite a good example of this as well, is that there are guys whose best case scenario is that kind of tier that that can be that foundational piece of a defense or an offense, but they have quite a lot of work to get to that point. So there's obviously a trade-off. Once you get the, the reason for me that separates like Akuda, Young, and Judy is that if they don't get any better at all, if they stay exactly who they are now those are like borderline star players in the NFL. Whereas guys like Simmons can be a superstar player in the NFL, but the work he has to do to get there is such that it's hard to put him in that same category. So there's, once you move down the board, it's not necessarily the guy's ceilings just drop off. It's also that there are guys who have those ceilings, but then the risk with that player becomes much larger because there's much more of a project there. And then Simmons is a, is a prime example of that for me. So many people want to advocate trading down, you know, and it, it becomes a recurring conversation for every fan base. But I think you do need, if you're a team, you have to figure out where that shelf is, particularly if you're picking seventh in, in a given draft, where it does complicate things or make things a little bit easier, depending on where whether or not you believe you're on either that second or third tier by the time you're picking versus you got one more shot at a guy at that top tier. Yeah, I, I know that this is... I, it's the worst example and it's the reason why everybody thinks they can be a GM. But when you play fantasy football, fantasy baseball, fantasy, whatever, if you have whatever pick you have, you go down the list and say, here are my, I have the eighth pick. Here are my top eight guys. And I'm sorry, here are my top seven guys. And if one of those top seven guys is there, then you say, okay, well, one of these guys is here and that's my value pick. But if the next tier of guys, if there are five guys on your next tier that you've ranked between eight and 14, then you got to trade that. If you can trade down to within 14, then you do that. That's why we talk about trading down all the time, because if you, so if you really like Derek Brown, but you like him not that much more than Javon Kinlaw or CJ Henderson or CD lamb or Jerry Judy or whoever these other guys are, then you say to yourself, okay, well there are five more of these guys on the board and I'm getting an offer to trade down four spots. I, I know I can get one of these five guys. That's the advantage of not having to draft for need because you don't, you're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. So you don't necessarily, if you have Zach Kerr starting at defensive tackle, it's not ideal, especially when you're giving up a thousand yards rushing every single week. But you don't, it doesn't really matter that much because you're already going to be bad next year. Sorry, Zach, if you're listening. We're just losing listeners left and right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Well, Texas text right. A&M corner, you're out. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe he came back. Maybe jump back in a little bit later. He just he just hit the fast forward a little bit. Just got past that. Um. So sitting at seven, is it three quarterbacks gone? Do you guys think is is three the number? And then with that, if it's only two, if it's Herbert or Tua, does it change the way you feel at seven? Um, I. I don't think it does for me. I think for a couple of reasons. I think I think the most sort of basic one is that if you look at Teddy Bridgewater's contract, it is it is much more structured towards a quarterback in 2021 than a quarterback in 2020. That that he's basically tied in for the next two years. And 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 you you I think it's one of those things where it, it, but it, it it's kind of it, it's the two things work together where 
they will have given him that contract having looked at the quarterback class. If there was, if they were looking at it going like, we think there's like five great quarterbacks in this class, maybe you don't go out and give Teddy that contract. Or maybe you sign Teddy, but you sign Teddy to a two-year deal with a one-year opt-out, say, and you pay him more money, but with an ability to move on sooner. I think you, you give him the contract you give him because of a plan. And the plan might go wrong, but I don't think you give him that contract if you plan to draft a quarterback in year one. Ooh, baby, you just said the magic word because the word plan is what we've been talking about for the past month, six weeks, two months, because I don't know exactly what it is. And if the plan is to have the first or second pick in next year's draft. It's uh, not. It's not. So what's the plan? To be okay next year and to keep getting better. No, I'm telling you. That's a terrible. That's not how you win the Super Bowl. To be okay and get and keep getting better. That's the that's the I think they I don't know if they think they can they got a chance to make the playoffs next year, but I think they got a chance to be in that 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 set, six seven win team range. And I know what people are saying about the defense, and that's one of the reasons why I look to Brown at seven as a logical choice. But I I just none of the moves from Okung to Bridgewater, and and I I I'm just gonna keep saying it. I think Bridgewater changed things for. Them. Because they felt like they could compete potentially in the next two years, whereas if you if you throw it away, you're not competing for at least three or four years. So I, I do I think the plan is clear. Uh, watch what they do, not what they say. Ignore the cam stuff. That was all posturing. I'm the riot report on the riot report website in November. It was told two readers Cam Newton's probably going to be let go at the end of the year. We predicted that. So ignore all of that stuff. And to me, everything else they've set, they've shown, signing McCaffrey, signing Bridgewater says, be okay next year and keep trying to get better. That's it, the, the, the tanking word needs to go away, in my opinion. I think that, unfortunately, I think that the plan is more muddy than that. I think that it is, there are two, two actors happening at Bank of America Stadium and Minta Moorhead. Well, not now. Obviously, they're acting from home. But Matt Rule and, and Marty Herney are kind of at odds with each other. Whether or not that is is playing out physically or mentally, or they're playing games, but they're some of the things that are happening are like the fact that we can identify. I said it last week. The fact that you can identify which moves are coming from Matt Rule and which ones are coming from Marty Herney, that's not good. Like that's that's bad. I don't think we. I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can do that because to me, if that was happening, what's the responsible thing for David Tepper to do? It would be to remove Marty Herney. Sure would. I mean, it just so if if we go with that assumption, we're assuming Dave Tepper's not to me, you know, acting in the best interest of this organization for a reason that I don't think you could that we could provide. Like, what's the case for him not doing that? He's shown that he trusts Rule. I, I think everybody assumes that Rule's the decision maker, and you know, and even if Tepper ultimately is, it's going to be he's going to look for Rule's eye. I assume this is a Matt Rule draft at this point. And if they do, if they, if they're, if it's what you say, then to me, then that's bad on Tepper. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing is, is we can go back and forth on that. But trust me, we have uh, four to five no, more no, no, months no, no, no. to talk to, to debate what the plan is, because I think whatever is going to happen this weekend is probably not going to clear it up. But but if we're saying that there's two, there's two different actors, as you said, acting in opposition to each other. That's foolish. It's a new day. You guys just released the three. The Panthers just released a three-minute video 
you know, that was trying to uplift people and didn't include keep pounding. It's a new day around here. I mean, so to me, what what's the what's the legacy of Marty Herney? What's the case? I mean, is he got some out in his contract that pays him a ridiculous sum? Like, I just don't see why David Tepper would keep around a, a, a legacy actor to act in opposition to his future, to what he views as his team. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I don't I don't understand exactly what's happening up there, either, which is why I don't really understand the. It's the same thing that we talked about last week when we yelled at each other for 45 minutes about running backs is that Weapons. if you if you want to be a, they're just they're 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 talking uh they're what they're saying is not what they're doing just like just like what you said and I th- I personally view it uh negatively I I think not, that I'm just not giving them that pass that's all that's what I'm saying I'm not giving them the two actors pass because there's no excuse for it that's if fair. that's what they're down the line hoping to lean on is, well, now that we now that we got Marty, now that we managed to to dig him out like he like he's a rooted you know bush next to your house that takes you know three weeks to to finally unearth. No, it, you know you you've got the means. You could have done this. I'm not interested in the excuse. And if that's an excuse they try and trot out down the line, not here to hear it. Yep. Are we talking I'm, about running backs or weapons? <laughs> no, Nikki. Why do you do this to us? <laughs> Well, there's only so much of a show we could do. Oh, geez. Here we go. Am I allowed to use analytics to support the running back, or is that just counter to the argument? Am I allowed to point that David Johnson was traded for Nuke Hopkins, which seems like pretty decent return on paying a running back to me? But, okay. I digress. (laughs) Oh, come on. So we're going to use Bill O'Brien as the the reason why it's a good – a good thing I'm, to pay running back. All right, whatever. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's right. That's right. Playoff teams aren't good teams, but Le'Veon Bell didn't lead the Jets to the playoffs, and that's his fault. Just ask Jeff Schwartz. Oh, sorry, everybody. <laughs> no, it's uh, fine. They love it when we yell. They they do. They do. Our our big dysfunctional family. We all love each other. Where's um, the strangle emoji on this setup? <laughs> <laughs> Vincent, we we kind of said all these guys' names. Um, like there's there's basically five names that are attached right now to the Panthers going in this. Why don't you give us a little bit more though on these guys? Um, starting off with Derek Brown. Yeah, so so Derek Brown is is quite an interesting one. So I actually watched a bit of him for last year's draft as well because it, he he obviously was eligible and decided to return to to school. Um, he has definitely got a lot better, and I think if if you were if you want a reason to be encouraged about him, about him, he has he is technically technically much better now than he was a year ago. And like his his athletic prowess has never been in question. But there are loads of like super athletic busts around the NFL. But I think the frustrating thing watching him play is that his good plays are really good. Like when he gets his pad level down, he gets his hand usage sorted. He is incredibly good. Sort of you know. Akeem Hicks is kind of the the comparison people keep making. I think that is relatively fair. Like he uses his power not just to drive guys backwards, but to generate like leverage that he can then use with his hands to create a pass rush. So he is not just a 330 pound stick him in the you know a gap and make him stuff the run type player. He can be a a really effective pass rusher using his power game. The issue is with him for me, and the reason why he isn't in that top tier with Akuda and, and and Chase Young is that. He just doesn't do it consistently enough. He does it more consistently than he did a year ago, but there are still too many plays where he he's just not making an impact. He, he either gets his pad level you know wrong and, and ends up basically standing vertical as a pass rusher, or he doesn't get his arms up quickly enough and just just gets blocked out of the play within half a second. Like 
he's a player who, if he continues to grow, can be like a centerpiece of a defense. But the reason why I think for me he's in that second tier is because there are there are ways in which he has to be more consistent. And while he is getting better in that regard, there's still a reasonable way to go, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think. When you, oh, go ahead, Colin. I, I was just gonna say when you talk about defensive tackle in the first round, and of course this guy fell, but I, you're, you're looking at Warren Sapp as the example, I think. Um, and, and if you're saying that you know pretty consistently, like this pad level is getting too high, he's not generating that pass rush, he's more collapsing the pocket, which has diminished value potentially in a in, in a league where you have more mobile quarterbacks. You know, I I, I understand Vincent why you've got him kind of in that in that that second tier yeah i think the 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 thing it's one of those things where like if you took his five best plays from each game and put them on a highlight reel he'd look like a surefire top five pick the issue is there are just like 20 plays a game where he's just not impacting the game at all and and that number has come down compared to a year ago but but if you're going to draft a guy and he's going to be the centerpiece of what you do defensively in the top 10 as a tackle you've got to be impacting the game maybe not every snap but you've got to be impacting the game on a far more consistent basis than he does yeah, See, I, I, go ahead. Sorry, this one's you. Uh, my my thing, I agree with with that is that if if he is if he needs to get better as a pass rusher, the the circumstances of the way that the NFL is going and the way that the NFC South is currently are going. That means that his best attributes, stopping the run, taking up space, being a, a force in the middle of the line, maybe aren't necessarily going to have that much of an impact. Uh, in the short term, maybe in the next three, four years. And then by that time, the NFL will have, in my opinion, gotten even closer to, you know, the NFL blitz that it is right now. So I think that that to me is, is why I don't value him as highly. I do think that he is going to be a very solid NFL player. Um, and I don't think that anyone is going to regret. I don't feel like he is going, I feel like Derek Brown has less, is less likely to bust than other players. Um, if that makes sense. But I think that he is less likely to be Warren Sapp and more likely to be Dontari Poe, who Dontari Poe is nice player, good player. But um, sorry, Dontari, if you're listening, probably not worth the seventh overall pick. At the same time, Vincent says the name of Akeem Hicks that I, I think he's been one of the most impactful guys, you know, in multiple places at that defensive tackle position. So if, if you're saying that I'm going to get a, a Akeem Hicks, at a good seven, point. sign me, sign me up. Especially because do you guys do you guys believe like I do that you you have to get a defensive tackle? I, and I know what you're saying, Josh. Like if if the plan is to just say, you know, screw screw 2020, which what wouldn't we all love to say that? <laughs> but, but screw the next season, then it then it completely changes. Then to me, you're just doing BPA down the board. But if you're planning on competing. I really worry if you don't get a D tackle here and arguably the best D tackle in the draft that you're you're forced to get a second or third. And we've seen the team draft some multiple D tackles in the second, third round. And that that hasn't been a recipe for success. Yeah. So this is be a, an interesting point. I don't know whether this is the right time to do it, but screw it. Uh, Vincent. So the, the guys on this list for first round picks are basically defensive tackle and corner and Isaiah Simmons, who whatever is, is everywhere, right? There's no player like Isaiah Simmons. Maybe I guess Willie Gay Jr. is similar, um, but defensive tackles and corners, which group is better in the second or third round? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, so I, I think it's definitely not D-tackle. Um, so I, I think corner, neither corner nor D-tackle are the strongest positions in the second round for me. Oh, great. I, Good. I, I, that's I, terrific. I think, that works out perfect. I think, but I think that's partly just the 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 way in which drafts tend to... I mean, D-tackle is a bit unusual in this year in that there's kind of like two guys and then there's kind of like some people in between and then there's, the, you know, it, it's not a good D-tackle class particularly. Um, corner is, is, is more interesting in that... The, the there aren't generally corners aren't super polished coming out of college and that's kind of understandable given the state of the college game and, and complexity of college defenses and all that kind of stuff um so there are a number of guys in like the that could be really good but are quite risky category for corner in a way that is just kind of inevitable really because like the once Dante you get beyond jackson the, category if you will yeah, precisely. Like, like once you get beyond the like Akuda and Henderson, you've then got guys like Fulton and Terrell who are, are their their issue is more that they're gonna how good they are depends massively on what scheme they're in. So for them, they're whereas Henderson and Akuda can play man, can play zone, can basically whatever defense you run, you can stick Akuda or Henderson out there and they'll be a good corner. Terrell and Fulton are much more scheme dependent on how good they're gonna be. And then after that, there's kind of or at least mixed in with that, there's then the category of like the 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 digs from Alabama, and then you've got you know some people are putting in um, Igbenogane from Auburn, and there are a few others who they have the like the traits to be good corners, but maybe need a bit more work. So I think if you're taking a corner on day two, you're going to take them knowing that you need to do some work to make them a good player. If you're taking a D tackle on day two, you're probably reaching. That's that's Ooh. oh oh gosh. I mean, you, you oh, might you might not be you you, you 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 could get lucky, but the the issue is because the position group is quite weak after the top two guys, that there is a chance that just no one drafts a D tackle for twenty five or thirty picks. In which case, it'll be fine. Just don't draft a D tackle in those twenty five or thirty picks. But the issue, what generally tends to happen is that once like the top tick off the board, teams that really need that position will start drafting in that second category earlier than they should, and so you'll see guys like a Blacklock or um, an Elliot who are good players, don't get me wrong, but they should not be going in the top 40 picks, I don't think. And if they then start going sort of late first, early second, you'll then find guys who, like, you know, James Lynch is a guy we'll probably talk about at some point, you know, because he's obviously a Baylor guy who links to rule. I think he would be good value anywhere from, like, the mid-third to the fourth. That's kind of where I think he goes. But there's a chance that just players keep getting taken ahead of him off the board, and he ends up going late second, early third, say. And then, then you are reaching for a need because because the position group is just being taken ahead of you, basically. So it sounds like you are kind of advocating by proxy that the Panthers, if they want to draft a defensive tackle, should draft it either at seven or whatever they were to trade down for. Possibly. I mean, I think if you want to start it, then yeah, probably. And, and unless you've got a reason to think that someone you like is going to fall and you're doing like an information type thing where you're you know going like, We've heard that lots of teams are quite low on, say, Elliot, like Jordan Elliott. Say, like, if you're like, we think he'd probably be a good pick around 50. We know the position's weak, but we know teams are low on him for X reason or Y reason. Say he's got a medical concern, but you're happy with it, for example. That, like, those are the kind of ones where you go, like, he's going to fall for a medical concern. He's going to fall from, like, pick 50 to pick 70. But we've checked it out. We're really happy with the medical concern. So we're just going to get the guy 20 picks cheaper. Like, unless you're really confident you're going to get that. If you think you have to get a D-line starter, it probably has to be in the first round. I, based on what what you're saying, Vince, I don't know how you don't go either Derek Brown or C.J. Henderson or defensive tackle or cornerback, I guess, to be more general, at, the, at that seven position. Like, if you 
because this team needs starters. You said if you need a starter, this team needs starters. Yes, yes, that would be the, that'd be the box that I'm looking to check right now. They need backups too, just to be clear. But uh, <laughs> no, they you're you're absolutely right. No, I, I agree. You need that first roll of toilet paper before you can have the 64th roll of toilet paper. Like let's let's take care let's take care of the the urgent needs right now. Um, I think. Go ahead. There, there, there is potentially one one caveat to that, which is that if you, you also have to look at what is still available in free agency if you want to go back into those positions after the draft. And like obviously we know for the Panthers because like Ross Cockrell is still available, but if you want to go out and sign a cornerback um, after the draft, there are going to be some options. Like Ross Cockrell is not a like top tier starting cornerback, but he's a starting cornerback. And like it, it, you know, if you don't hit on a corner and you want to go out and get one, you can. And there's while it's not as strong, like if you look at the D tackle free agency group, there are at least a few players who are like, okay, well, if, if all goes to pot in the draft, Damon Snacks Harrison is still a free agent, Christian Covington's still a free agent. Um, you know, it's not stuffed, but there are still a handful of potential starting caliber free agent D tackles on the market. And while you wouldn't sort of go into the draft going, Yay, we've got Snacks Harrison age thirty two, like that wouldn't be what you'd want to go in for, but but if if you come out the draft without a D tackle, there are guys you can sign if you think he's a starter. Like Zach Kerr, for me, is a passable starting D tackle. Like he's not a good starting D tackle, but like if he's starting, the sky won't fall in. Uh, if if you make the rest of your roster really good and he's the weakest starting piece, you've got a pretty good squad. So I do think that you you don't necessarily have to fill all these draft needs in the draft. Like we we saw that a couple of years ago with. Um, uh, the running back whose name I blanked, who who used to play for the Broncos and then went to the Rams, CJ Anderson. CJ Anderson. Yeah, where you, everyone thought they were going to draft a running back, and they got to the end of the draft, and they're like, "How have they not drafted a running back?" And then like ten days later, they signed CJ Anderson and problem solved. Same thing for safety, right? Over the past ten years, uh, <laughs> they just except last year they they didn't draft the safety. Everybody freaked out, and then they just signed Trey Boston because it was like there that was that was always going to happen. It seemed like. Whether it was actually always going to happen, I don't know, but that's that's what it seemed like. Um, so I'm curious. So Derek Brown, obviously the biggest defensive tackle. What about the other defensive tackle that everybody talks about, Javon Kinlaw? Um, do you think that – how do you think he matches up with Brown? And then also do you think that he's somebody that the Panthers could theoretically trade back and still be able to, to get? Yeah, so so again, I think actually this is quite a good point, point to make as well that – I think if you take Kinlaw in the first round, you have to assume that he's not going to be that good in year one. So if, if your priority is to be really good at detackling year one, that's not Jalen Kinlaw's selling point. Like he he has an absolutely astronomically high ceiling. Like he's freakishly powerful and and quick, and he he flashes the ability to be this this you know truly outstanding detackle. But he is still quite raw. Like his pad levels not great fairly consistently. And while there are flashes of nice hand usage and stuff, they're flashes rather than consistent sort of technique. Like he, he's he's definitely a player who who is more about what they're going to be a year or two down the road than who you're going to get week one against whoever it is when the schedule gets released. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think if while I think Kinlaw can be the better player compared to Brown, certainly the more valuable player, if, if you if your priority going to the draft is we need a week one starter at D tackle, I think it has to be Brown. Yeah, but I, I don't think that's there. I don't think they need – I think they could theoretically, if they view them both as similar prospects, they could 
trade down to, I don't know, 14, 16, and he might still be there and still have the opportunity to draft him. Because again, I don't think they necessarily uh, need to be that good next year. I know Colin and I disagree. No, yeah. I, Vince, I'm, I'm just curious real quick uh, on Ken Law. What do you think is it that he needs? Because the, and, and we're talking about seven versus trade back, you know, but just in theory, if I'm looking at a first round pick project is not something that I'm, I'm necessarily keen on. So what is it that you think he's missing initially? I think the biggest thing for him is pad level. So, and, and not just that he can't do it. It's just that it, it's, it's just really inconsistent. And some of that is about, you know, developing the muscle to allow you to support your weight in different ways. And, and you know, there, there are things you can do in that regard. But some of it is just discipline and, and getting your body in the right shape time after time after time. And there are also bits where, like, he, he sometimes his arms, he doesn't extend his arms enough. And, like, while he flashes, like, the, the hand power and the hand suddenness to, to, to cause, like, blockers problems, it, it just it needs sort of some refinement and some some more consistent sort of placement and, and, and usage. And I think what, this is something that's worth making for all prospects. Like every player has room to get better. Um, the thing that teams have to really think about is how much do they have to get better before they reach certain kind of levels? What do they need to get better at? How hard are those things to teach? And how teachable do you think the guy is? And I think one of the big knock-ons, say, of, of the fact that this has been like basically a virtual off-season is that they haven't had the same time with these players. And like if you're drafting a guy like Kinlaw, particularly in the top 15 picks, you have to really trust that you can make him better and that he he has the, the ability in him to get better. Because there are guys who come out of college underdeveloped because they have not been coached properly yet. And there are guys who come out underdeveloped because they are not very good at taking on coaching. And a major part of what teams do beyond the tape sessions and stuff is, is trying to differentiate players into those two groups, the guys who who can be coached and the guys who they think have reached their limit of how good they're going to be. Uh, and for a guy like Kinlaw, that massively changes how valuable he is, because if if he never gets better from now, he'll be a player that in five years time will still be an NFL roster because teams will be looking at him going like, oh, he, he can look how good he can be on those three snaps this game. But there are also four snaps or more likely 14 snaps or 40 snaps where he got his pad level wrong and ended up, you know, five yards back down the field because the guard took him to a different postal code. You know, it, it, it's 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 so important to be able to assess these kind of things in players because the vast majority of prospects do not come out ready to be the players they can become, and and so determining how they then continue to grow is 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 so important. I, I do think though the assumption of improvement is something that evaluators and particularly young evaluators have to be careful of. A lot of these guys come in. And if you look at them and they're 30, they look pretty much like a 30-year-old version of the guy that you thought was coming out, and they do a lot of the similar things. The improvement is not a guarantee, no. um, you know, a, a, as you look at, at the totality of it. So I got to be honest with you, you know, Ken Law's been kind of a fashionable name, but Vincent, the way you're describing him, I, it makes me a whole lot less optimistic about taking a guy like that in the first round. I think the one thing I would say with Ken Law, and also in general, is that there's a big difference between trusting a guy can do something that you've never seen him do before and trusting a guy can do something more consistently that he has shown he does. And so like DJ Moore is a great example of this, that DJ Moore in college showed all the things that he needed to be the player he has become. He just didn't do them enough that, that, that there were plays where you could see all the things, all the boxes were ticked. They just weren't ticked on every play. And the same is true with Kinlaw, like all the things he needs to be able to do, he has shown he can do. It's just about getting him to do it every play. And that's very different and I think much, you know, much more promising than than the guy who is like, well, we think he can tick this extra box, but we've never seen him really 
do it and he's never really been asked to do it or there are there are there, there, you know obviously there are differences between a player never being asked to do something and, and showing he not showing he can do it but but a box sometimes ticked is far better than a box never ticked shall we say Vincent you've got Akuda in your top tier when you're talking yeah. about that and Henderson how big is that gap between those two guys yeah it's it, it's reasonably sizable but it, it's as much taste as it is um like pure quality so for example it, it, we come back to sort of the development type things i think the best version of cj henderson is better than the best version of jeff akuda but the jeff akuda you're getting week one is probably going to be a better player than the cj henderson you get week one and so like akuda is far better run defender like he works off blocks far better he's a much more technical tackler and while that is not why you draft a cornerback like he is you know, he, he is a good run defender for a cornerback, and CJ Henderson is a very bad run defender for a cornerback. And, you know, you can fix that, but that's what he is right now. In terms of, like, movement skills and speed, I think Henderson probably is quicker than Akuda. Like, I think he will do better against, like, pure speed receivers. Um, they both have really good footwork. I think Akuda is better in press. Henderson, although he played the line a fair amount, he didn't actually play much, like, press, press coverage. So if you want to play a lot of press, you know, that's a, a real project. Like that's a box not ticked for a, uh, for Henderson. Um, but I think Henderson has better ball skills and they probably have similar movement skills. But, but Henderson is maybe slightly ahead in that regard as well. So I, I think Akuda is like the plug and play number one corner. And the, I, I'd be very surprised if he busts. Whereas Henderson is the guy who who could be the kind of very top tier cornerback, but also there are going to be things he, he struggles with uh, you know, in the short term, at least. To me, if you're picking a defensive back in the top 10, you have to have production in terms of turnovers. Uh, Vincent, you mentioned with, with with Henderson having those ball skills. If he looks like the d- defensive back that the Panthers would be looking at, can you talk a little bit about his his ball skills and, and whether or not you think his, that specific area is worthy of going up and getting a guy this high? So I think that's something that comes back to scheme a huge amount. So it really varies what you want to do defensively, because if you're going to play a lot of zone coverage, particularly off zone coverage, you need ball skills because the idea then is not that you're going to lock down your receivers. It's just that you're going to make the quarterback rush decisions and put the ball in places where the defenders have a chance to get it. Like if you look at like Seattle's cover 3D when they were really, really good, it wasn't that the teams never completed the pass on them, but that they they made teams make like a threshold number of mistakes to make it worth the completions they gave up in zone. Whereas if you're going to play like a, we're going to play man coverage across the board, we are, you know, the old style Jets when they were quite good. And, you know, we've got Terrell Reavers just on an island. It doesn't really matter if Reavers doesn't pick the ball off because if they just never throw to his receiver, that's worth a lot as well. So if, if you can just take the number one receiver and just take them out of the game every week, that is worth a lot. I mean, but you have okay, to play okay. a scheme that wants you to do that. Yeah, but you have, you also, if you're going to take away a number one, the, the threat of the incompletion is not enough. It has to be the threat of the interception. And that, to me, is what separates a guy. So do you think C.J. Henderson has the type of ball skills as a difference maker on the defensive, you know, at that defensive back position to take him in the top 10? No. Yeah, no I, I, oh, I, sorry. I, no, I mean, you can jump in there. Josh, but to me, this is when you look at guys at this position, there's a lot of fast guys. There's a lot of guys that can stay in phase. If you are going to take away a portion of the field, you have to be able to intercept the ball. The threat of the incompletion is not enough to deter quarterbacks from throwing in your direction. If so you're I- looking for a fast running back, I got this kid from Texas A&M. He runs in a fast line, in a straight line, faster than you can cook an egg. And uh, that's who I think 
is going to be no i'm sorry um based on vince's <laughs> description of that young man whose names we're just removing because just for slander purposes the only way he could get an interception is if the ball stuck into his face mask which like is in a sight and what a what a play i'd love to hear mick's call of it but that's not what we're looking for in the top 10 stuck in his ample face mask Sorry. I think there, but there, you also like that. So interceptions aren't necessarily the best way of judging it potentially. Cause like there, there are, there no, are inter- no, no, no. When you're talking about this high, yes, it is. This well, no, is because, the, to me, this is what separates it. This is the so, difference. I mean, I'm, I'm so, just being honest with you. This is the I, difference. I, I, I know what you mean, but so I think the one thing I would say there is interceptions are something like a stochastic statistic. So like, it's not like tackles where if a player gets 10 tackles every game, the difference between eight and 10 really shows up over a season. Whereas oh. the difference between like four picks and six picks is basically luck. Um, I'm with you. If he shows the skills, I mean, Ben Ben Wickery, you know, led the NCAA. It didn't mean he was going to be an all-time player here. I, I'm with you on the number doesn't matter, but the skill and the ability to turn the field does matter. Yeah, it, it's it's more the ability to create interceptions. One, like there are guys who just can't catch, which is obviously an issue. Like James Bradbury, as good as he was never caught the ball well there were always like he, he you know his inception numbers were basically where they were every year because he could catch it if it was thrown to him and he did occasionally make these spectacular catches but basically he was going to leave a lot on the field there is also then the like the, there are going to be guys who get interceptions because the ball is just thrown to them from time to time what what really elevates players is the ability to then go and get the ball that isn't just thrown to them because you know that does that, and, but that is as much about their ability to read the game as it is about their ability to catch. So what Josh Norman did really well when he was with the Panthers in, in that Super Bowl season was not just that he could catch really well, which he could. It's also that he did a really good job in the kind of underneath zone areas. He did a really good job of route recognition and jumping routes before before the ball got there. So it isn't just about how good can you catch. It's about how well do you actually recognize the route and how well do you get yourself in the positions where you have the best chance to make those interceptions that other guys just don't put themselves in the position to make? Yeah, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree on that one because okay. I think you got, I think to be is a top half of the first round DB. You're that's it's the same as what we're talking about with SAP. Derek Brown's a good player, but what separates a guy like Derek Brown and Warren SAP is potentially that pass rush. To me, this is the distinction. It's why you make the decision to not pay Bradbury number one cornerback money for exactly the reasons you just laid out, that you left plays on the field. I, I, I just – and I'm not trying to quibble with you on this, but to me, if, I, if I'm if i drafting a DB in the top ten, got got to be able to make that play. Yeah, so Henderson and Akuda can do that. I think Akuda wasn't tested as much, so it's harder to know because guys – you know. The other thing is, if you're really good, you just don't get the throwing the ball that much. So it's harder to come. You know, if you look at Revis's interception numbers, like after he became Revis Island and everyone knew how good he was, people just didn't throw him the ball that way. Like, Ray Bly locally, freshman interception record, you know, in North Carolina, doesn't get thrown at him later, but you knew he had the ball skills because of that freshman season. Yeah, and unless you're Deion Sanders, where you're going to pretend that you've messed up in coverage so you get a chance to make a play on the ball. Like, like unless you're in Dion's level, like everyone, the aspiration is to be so good that people won't throw to you. So I, I don't know whether Henderson is in like the very top tier for that. Like, I'm not sure he's going to be like a you know seven pick a year type guy. But I think he, he yeah, both Henderson and Nakuda can make plays on the ball. Like not, not, both of them have better hands than James Bradbury, I would say. Yeah, I mean, my thing is uh, the, the big difference for me is tackling. 
I think Jeff Okuda is maybe not the best tackler in the in the draft, but CJ Henderson is um, poor at tackling, like downright. Awesome. Yeah, he's uh, yeah. You said it. He's not a good tackler. Good Josh Klein of tacklers. I, I would say he was. He runs. Uh, he tackles about as well as um as, you, our, as our guy you, changes direction. If you and C.J. Henderson are running around in the backyard, who's catching the yard bird first, you or C.J. Henderson? <laughs> C.J. Henderson's going to beat me personally in any sort of um, athletic activity. But when it comes to trying to tackle Julio Jones on a smoke screen, like that's going to go poorly. And that's the kind of thing that's going to have to happen. And that's the stuff that you can hide if you can intercept it. You, you know, I mean, it's a good point. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, you're not well, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I, I, I think the other thing is that, that, that is maybe worth pointing out is it isn't like he, he's not just completely contact shy. So like he does try and tackle a fair amount. He's just technically quite bad at it. And like that you should be able to teach. Like it's better than the guy who just stands there and watch the guy run past him going like, yep, I'm not paid enough to do this. Like he, he does try and tackle. He's just technically really poor at it. I'd be fascinated. I know this is impossible to quantify. I'd be really interested to see the guys that get better at, at tackling as they get to the NFL. I almost feel like that's one of those things that's been a part of you for a while at this point. But, you know, if, if Henderson, look, if it, it sounds like Henderson could be the guy, I'm trying to talk myself into it. I'm just concerned about it. Yeah, I, I would I, feel I, a lot better about Henderson if they traded back four spots and drafted Henderson. If they yeah, picked up either. some sort of capital and draft C.J. Henderson, I feel like that's the right move. If you're going to stay at seven and you're going to draft C.J. Henderson, uh, that's when I start to like – that's when you start – that's when my draft grade, which is the worst uh, thing in the world, is giving out draft grades immediately after the pick. But that's where it's like it feels like too early and too much and too soon. But if you can pick up a little bit something extra, a little bonus, a little sweetener, uh, I'm back. A little something yeah. for the effort. Yeah, if you unless you're getting a Revis or Dion, which you know guys we just talked about, and obviously they're all they're they're all timers, but unless you're 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 getting a guy of that caliber, the franchise DB, you know what I mean? Like that. If 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 I can't have Christian McCaffrey on this team because he's a running back, just the the franchise DB that isn't an island or guarding seventy percent of the earth. you know, they like, just let the DM franchise DB go. They just had one. But no, but I think Vincent. But no, no, just, no, you're. To me, I agree. I'm not trying to speak for Vincent here. I think Vincent just laid out the exact reason why you don't pay a guy that level of money to to be a second tier guy and not turning over the ball and leaving plays on the on the ground is a reason to not give a guy an eight figure contract. And Vincent, you may disagree. I'm not trying to speak for you, but that's what I heard when you were talking. Yeah, I, th- I think the other thing that sort of makes me think of is that if you look at what the Panthers have done with DBs, it isn't just that they don't have like a number one cornerback. Like that D- that that cornerback room is really really empty right now. I think there are five guys on the roster technically, but most of them are kind of vet minimum type guys. It's basically Dante Jackson, Cornelda, and some players like who rookie minimum roster. type guys. <laughs> yeah, like everybody's taping stuff up in their locker. <laughs> but I think the there there are two reasons why you don't pay corners one or like why you wouldn't pay a corner not just generally but but why why you wouldn't one is that you don't think the guy's good enough and i think with bradbury maybe he wasn't in that top tier but i i don't think the money he's the contract he got in new york isn't ridiculous i think the other reason why you potentially don't play corners is because you plan to play a lot of zone coverage and if you're going to play tons of zone and like like the panthers in 2015 say and the Panthers in 2013 is possibly even a better example. Like that defense was 
exceptionally good with, you know, pocket change at cornerback. And, you know, knackered Drayton Florence and um, White. Was it, was it White who played opposite Florence in 2013? Yeah, I think it was. Yep. Melvin yeah. White and Drayton Melvin White, Florence. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah that, that's, that's not a good cornerback call. But because of the way you played stylistically, defensively, it didn't get exposed because you weren't asking your corners to do a huge amount. You were asking, you were asking your corners to do like so much, but the pressure was on the D line in the front seven to get the job done to the gift. You know, they didn't have much time to throw. You were crowding underneath zones, all that kind of stuff. So if, if you're looking at sort of the tea leaves a little bit and saying like, why didn't they pay Bradbury and why don't they have any corners? It's probably because I guess they're going to play quite a bit of, of zone coverage that is going to protect those corners. Because even, even if they go out and they draft um, Henderson or Kuda at seven, you've then got Dante Jackson opposite him who, didn't have the best season last year and probably needs to continue to grow to reach his ceiling. And you also have nobody in the slot, like the number three corner right now. I don't know. I, I don't know who it is, but even if you sign CJ Henderson, the number three corner is Corn Elder. Put some like, respect on Dominique Hatfield's name. All right. Okay, I, I, I deeply apologize to him. <laughs> Come on. But, but it, you know, it, it, sorry, if Dominique, cor- if you're listening, if cornerback play was the absolute priority for this team, you don't put yourself in the position you're in now. Like the, the reason why they're in this position is probably because they don't value corner as much as other teams do to a certain degree. And that indicates to me that you're going to play some zone. Well, you said it, Vincent. The, part of it's the fact that there's so much bad corner play out there. I, I, I just think well, that there's not necessarily those guys to, to, to invest in. And it's like, we're going to get, we're, you know, we're going to roll the dice. We're going to throw it out and we're going to have a bunch of okay guys back there. Um, I, I don't know that there's good cornerbacks <laughs> good, good to be had. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it sounds crazy, but but it, it really is. I was trying to remember, who was the GOAT? Who and not, the, not the greatest of all time, but who's the scapegoat off that? Was it was it Quentin Michael or was it Drayton Florence that kept screwing up late in that season? One of those two. Uh, Thomas wasn't great. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, in, in the well, Rams of, game, he got actually toasted some. by... Um, who was the Western Michigan receiver who went really, really high because he ran a fast 40? Uh, Tavon Austin. Tavon Austin toasted Thomas in that game. Vincent, yeah. real quick before we move on, um, what's your take on Isaiah Simmons? I think he's an excellent athlete. I'm not sure he's an excellent anything else right now. So, oh. like, it's not, so but that's one of the things, like, so part of that, I mean, this is maybe not the, the, the kindest of takes, but I'm not totally sure how he was using Clemson really helped him long term that much because he was used in so many different ways. And you're in a college you know, system where you don't get that much coaching time. He hasn't got that much time coached at linebacker and at slot corner and at safety. So he has not been coached a huge amount at any of the roles he played. And he kind of looks like that on tape. He looks like a guy who has the talent to do loads of things, but doesn't currently have a technique to do very much. The, the, I think... Don't get me wrong. I think he he could be a passable NFL player right away, but his man coverage is incredibly clear that he can run with anybody and his movement skills are great, but his footwork's really sloppy. And in run defense, like he can clearly has like can take on blockers physically, but technically is not very good at that. And also his gap discipline raises some questions. And if he's going to play center field safety, then that's great. He has the ball skills and he has the range but he hasn't really played it enough to really have the instincts and the understanding of exactly like the pattern recognition of routes and that kind of stuff. So wherever you play him, he can be really good, but he's currently probably fairly mediocre by NFL standards. Vincent, you just described Thomas Davis to me, but that's fine. I actually agree with you that I don't think that Isaiah Simmons is the right pick for this. And part of it is 
A big part of it is the defensive coordinator. You're bringing in Phil Snow. Shouldn't we just try to run a defense before we start trying to innovate defense at the NFL level? I, 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 to me, the Panthers have not been, you know, surprising on defense for a long time, but they've been they've been good at defense. Not, I mean, I know they've been bad. They were bad last year, but you know what I'm saying. Like it's Seattle, it's not about the unpredictability of it. I just think that maybe the Panthers right now go with a guy like Brown over a guy like Simmons, who you feel like maybe you needed to be tailoring more to. And I just don't know for a guy like Phil Snow as a defensive coordinator, that's a load that you need to be putting on his plate as a first-year guy trying to unlock a guy uh, that, that weighs less than 250 pounds on the defense. I just think that, that's a, that may be a tough draw, a tough ask for a first-year D.C. I don't know. I mean, so I think if you wanted like solid and dependable, Phil Snow is probably not the guy you go with. Like if you watch his Baylor defenses, they're fun. They do some really cool, interesting stuff, but they're not like, let's just do the basics right over and over and over again. Like he he has always been the guy who tries to do things differently. We have a big 12 defensive coordinator as our defensive coordinator. I'm just trying to to, to <laughs> make it feel OK right now is really what I'm going for. I I'm think I say it's going to be fun next year like the the panthers panthers are going to be fun to watch maybe not in a good way but they're going to be like there are going to be a lot of points scored end of sentence (laughs) i don't know what the i don't know what the the the, uh the advertising tie-in but the scoreboard operator at b of a absolutely should have some type of advertising tie-in next year maybe it's a light bulb company I'm not quite sure, but there's got to be an opportunity for this. Do they have the scoreboard running if there are no fans in the stadium to look, or is it just for the just for the players? No, you do for the coaches. Oh, 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 look at that. That was my nice bubble being popped <laughs> by Josh in the midst of this draft conversation. <laughs> I will have another. Thank you very much, sir. It's, it's going to be fine. <laughs> Everything's going to be great. Um, ah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that they are, yeah, it, a lot of points are going to be scored. I, I had a point, but I lost it in, in bursting Colin's bubble. I apologize. Well, Josh just keeps using the word fun and Colin just keeps using the word. Okay. Um, Vincent, and are there any and wild weapon. cards in okay this first weapon. round <laughs> weapon? Yeah. I, I, so I think the other thing that has been talked about a bit with uh, the Panthers is receiver. Um, yes. And- I don't. I would be a little surprised if they went receiver at seven. Um, because of the devaluation of the wide receiver position. <laughs> no, I, I think their plan is to just put like four receivers out on every play with McCaffrey underneath and just run four verts all the time. I think that is their their, their current strategy. I mean, um, that sounds fun, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> like, if if Joe Brady becomes a head coach off of that, let me tell you guys, I'm I'm gonna have to quit the podcast. I have to start doing some things because. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, just, pretty, just, I'm pretty sure that was Chud's offense the last year, too. Chud's <laughs> offense was pretty good. It was also I mean, fun. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. So, yeah. Vincent, I think uh, – sorry, not to ju- cut you off, but you mentioned receiver, and I think that that, to me, is like the big wild card that might actually happen because not necessarily at seven, but if they do trade down, I think that one of these receivers could be very much in play for the and you may say to me, Josh, look at how many receivers they already have on the roster. And I will say to you, Colin, they have DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Robbie Anderson. 
And then the guys that they've signed, Seth Roberts, Keith Kirkwood, and Pharaoh Cooper, all have a dead cap hit of less than a million dollars combined between them. So you could literally bring them in for camp and cut them and not really feel the the, the pain of, of making that cut. And any any wide receiver that you draft, not even if you go in the first round, but if you probably if you draft a guy like Jalen Rieger in the second round or another guy in the third round even, I feel like one of those guys is going to be ahead of those three guys that I just mentioned on the depth chart. And Joe Brady has shown he likes a ton of pass catchers out there. And if you want to have this explosive offense, you need four, five, six, seven wide receivers on the roster. They have a, There's an extra, extra spots on the roster now. So I, I think that the idea that they could go with a, maybe it's Jerry Judy, maybe it's CeeDee Lamb. There's kind of that argument with who the, the best wide receiver is in the draft. But if you trade down to like 16 and you get some like next year's second or something, and you can also get the number one wide receiver in the in the in the draft, and you're rolling out Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore. By the way, Curtis Samuel's contract is up after next year. You're rolling out those four guys, maybe Ian Thomas as like your fifth, sixth pass catching option. I, I mean, that's terrifying. And you know what else it is? Say it with me. Fun. It's Thank fun. Thank you. It's fun. I do think it's interesting that we just got done having a conversation about whether or not Christian McCaffrey could be paid, where no one has a problem with wide receivers being paid. But yet you look at the top 10 of this draft and it sounds like, I mean, it seems like CeeDee Lamb is everything you would want in a, in a number one wide receiver. And yet they find it hard to crack this top 10. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I think if the Panthers end up taking a wide receiver in the first round, it'll be CeeDee Lamb, Wham Lamb. Bam Lamb. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not, I don't disagree with you. I think that the idea of wide receiver makes a lot of sense to me. I'm not sure who they have at that spot, but um, I, I think that, um, that the receiver question is very much unanswered. Are we in the trust tree? I wouldn't tree be surprised right to see them go for it. Are we in the trust tree right now? Can we talk about the current number one or the current perceived number one? Because is it worthwhile? Pointing out that DJ Moore does not have a single 10 catch game in his career, as if we're going to perceive him as a number one. We got a lot of time to talk about how terrible the roster is later. Right now, we're no, no, no. no. I, but, but to me, if you're picking wide receiver, if you're if you're taking me down the the, the CD Lamb Wambalam trail, which I I don't hate, I don't hate it. But part of that conversation is the fact that DJ Moore is not a number one because I don't think you take CD Lamb Wambalam. If you think DJ Moore is the number one. Sorry, okay, DJ, so, if you're listening. Go ahead, Vincent. So, so I, I have some relatively strong thoughts on that. So I, I am I am not the biggest fan of C D Lamb. Like I don't think he's a bad receiver. I I'm just not sure how good he actually sorry, I'm not sure how valuable he is. In that his combination of skill sets is not unvaluable, but it's quite unusual. And I'm not totally sure how you fit that in as your primary receiving option. So He's, Can you explain really, a little bit more on that? Can you yeah, so he, I, I kind of, I, I'm struggling to think of a comparison for him, but the best one I can think of so far is Sammy Watkins, where if Sammy Watkins is your best receiver, you've probably got a bit of a problem. But if Sammy Watkins is your number three receiver, then he can be incredibly dangerous because what he's really good at is not 
CeeDee Lamb is not going to make his money on third and seven getting open on a slant to, to, to tie the game. You know, that, that, is, that is not going to be his game. His game is going to be taking that drag route 40 yards on, on, on a screen or, or taking a screen 40 yards or creating at the catch point um, with some subtle body movement 30 yards down the field. Like he will be he will be a guy who is probably more remembered for the fact that he makes a handful of impact plays here and there. He's not the guy that in an NFL offense, I think you can go to like every other play because I, I don't think he's the details of his route running are not good enough for him to be just open all the time. He's not that kind of guy. The guy that you're describing to me sounds like Percy Harvin, which is is good and bad. I mean, no, in terms of a potential impact, but going to do it on three to seven plays more than seven to ten plays. So I think he's a better player than Harvin. I think he's also I think he is a, he is a better route runner than Harvin. Like he's not a bad route runner, um, but it's just that he's not like there are some it, on the spectrum from like Keenan Allen to, um, you know, Percy Harvin. He is probably somewhere towards the middle. Whereas someone like a Jerry Judy, say, is more towards the the sort of the the Keenan Allen sort of model of just being open all the time. Like I I, I think if if you're if you're looking for complementary skill sets, his complement is that if he's lined up against a number three or number four corner, he probably doesn't have to be the best. You know, if you go out there with more Samuel Anderson and Lamb, if they put their best corner on City Lamb, it doesn't matter because you're then facing DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel against corners two and three. Um, but if they go and put their number one corner on DJ Moore, you've then got you know, a Robbie Anderson or a CeeDee Lamb working against their number three, their number four corner. And at that point, the fact that like neither guy is the best route runner in the world is no longer the biggest problem. And actually what they can then do uh, after the catch is, is, is then the, the big selling point. Oh, boy, does that sound fun. Oh, boy, does that sound fun. Does CeeDee Lamb or Curtis Samuel or Robbie Anderson working against the... Not just the nickel, yeah, I guess the nickel corner, but like, or like a linebacker or a safety. Now you know, we're now we're cooking with gas. You know what else is going to be fun is watching Christian McCaffrey go against positions and coverage that the teams don't like to invest in too. That's I think that's going to be a fun one to watch. Over Couldn't agree more. Sounds Vincent, like Marley agrees too. So I'm sorry, Marley got really heated about that. Marley, Marley, Marley. <laughs> Marley, are 52% of the dogs in Uptown Charlotte named Marley? No. She loves oh. reggae. I am so sorry. Marley, Marley gets so really many, heated So many about Appalachian grads living Uptown Charlotte with dogs named Marley these days, I feel like. He's a big CD Lamb guy. Didn't like all those takes. It's true. But it's Vincent's true. point to be Vincent's point about if a guy cannot go up and win against number one cornerbacks, that's the kind of stuff that absolutely matters when you're picking a guy in the first round and when you're trying to decide between various guys at, at a certain position. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I know this isn't sort of the, the conversation we're having like right now, but I think it's really worth point worth making. Making so I think we'll come back to it. Like, if, if you are looking for a guy. I think what the Panthers have to look at is they have to look at the receivers they have and go, what are their strengths and also what are their weaknesses? And what you really want is a player who can trade value. No, but not <laughs> yeah. But 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 what what is what are the skill sets they need to add to the skill sets they currently have to complement them? And if you look at it, 
if I looked at the current the current receiver group, I'd say, okay, you've got a lot of deep speed, you've got ability after the catch, you've got ability to create the catch point. What you don't really have is someone who is just going to consistently get open underneath against man coverage, like a, just a technical route runner, even if they don't have the deep speed or the yards after catch, someone who is just a, a technician underneath as a route runner. And I think the best chance of getting that at a good value in the draft for me is Brian Edwards from South Carolina. So I, I know he's not a first round option, but I think he is, if we're going to talk about the receiver need, I think he is kind of, for me, the absolute perfect fit as someone who is never going to be like a 1500 yard receiver, but he's just open all the time underneath. Now, if in that situation that you're talking about, would you lean towards receiver or would you potentially lean towards a, a tight end? So if we're talking about second, third round, I mean, I look at I look at LSU. They've got a couple tight ends. Joe Brady familiarity. We're going I'm going with that in this first year, at least until it's disproven. You know, Thaddeus Moss, a local kid. Would you would you think a, a wide receiver would be the route if you're looking for the security blanket going forward? Or in this particular class, would you look in the tight end class for that guy? I think you could do both. I, don't, I think Moss is a good player. I'm not sure Moss is that guy at the NFL level. I think the, the two guys who I think would maybe the three guys who are most interesting in that regard are Brian Edwards from South Carolina as a receiver. Van Jefferson, the uh, Florida receiver. He changed. He was old Miss and then he went to Florida, I think. So yeah, he's, he's now Florida. Florida. Yeah. Sorry, he was he transferred from, from Ole Miss, so I've seen tape on both. Um, and uh, Bryson Hopkins, the Purdue tight end. Like, those are the three. If you want guys who are just, like, technical underneath route runners, those are the three guys that I'd be really looking at as, like, probably more like third-round options for all three of them. Uh, it, I think, yeah, all three would kind of be third or fourth-round options, and I think that would be where they're the, the real value. If you want players who are complementary pieces without having to be, like, serious top-end investments, those would be the three guys that I'd probably look at. Who's ready to play a game? Yes. Let's Yay. do it. I love game times. Any game. It will be fun. Marvel races qualify at this point. <laughs> um, this game is role play. So our first scenario, Colin, are you ready? Colin, you're ready. going to be a GM, and you're going to call Josh with a trade offer for the seventh pick. Well, the other 31 NFL teams are aware that Marty Herney is still the general manager of the Carolina Panthers. And with that in mind, multiple teams are calling, looking for that seventh pick. And Josh, is, you as Mr. Herney uh, have to decide, will you answer from the 702 area code, the 202 area code, or the 904 area code? Now, for the uninitiated, that would be... Las Vegas, Washington, D.C., or Jacksonville. Now, at, can I ask you, what point of the draft is this? Has the, has this the is, sixth, this is the sixth pick seven. has already happened? Look. Or, look, or is this, or is this pre-draft? Four, no, I have a uh, – this is – this is we're, we're rolling in. I don't I – don't, you set the ground rules. I'm just focused on number seven, whether or not it's after six has been taken or pre-draft. Uh, I'll leave that up to the questionnaire. Let's roll the dice. Give me that Vegas number. I'm ready. All right. Now, the Vegas number. Now, you're not going to believe this, but Chucky actually has two different offers for you to consider. So, for the number seven pick, what about if you got number 12 and 19, but I would get number seven so I could go up and possibly get Herbert or the third quarterback or whatever, and number right. The eight. So I get seven and thirty-eight, and I'd also really appreciate, uh, you know, a little, a, a little, sh- a little day three sugar, 
Uh, I, I would ask initially for a third round swap, but I could probably be talked down to just a little day three sugar. But 12 and 19 um, for seven and 38. So you're going to give me the 12th pick in the draft and the 19th pick in the draft for seven and 38. And, and you I'm want and you want more. You want something swap. else, right? I'm looking for a third round swap. It would move me up. It would move you back just be, um, you know, a little bit in the third round as well. I'll tell you what. First of all, right off the bat, uh, thank you for calling. Loved you on Monday Night Football. Um, uh, I, 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 I'm going to have to – I can't do the third round swap. I think there's a lot of talent still there on, thir- in, in, on day two in the third round. The best I could give you uh, would be a fifth round swap um, in a situation like that. Um, and so what I'm going to – I'm going to come back at you, and I'm going to give you seven – I'm even going to give you 38 because I know that you, you know. I'm trading two firsts for a first and a second. You got to make me look good for the for the local media. I get I'm it. Gonna get crushed. <laughs> I'm going to get crushed on local radio. I mean, you're going up to get your quarterback, right? Like you're going up to get your guy. And I'm going to tell you right now, by the time you roll around to 12, that guy's going to be gone. So uh, that, 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 that's fair, Marty. That's, that's certainly fair. Uh, hang on, hang on. The wife's bringing some meatballs in, so I gotta hang on for just a couple minutes here. Uh, I, I mean, gonna... I think this, I think that if we're being honest, I think this eliminates potentially your ability to take a defensive tackle in that first round. But maybe it opens up the uh, the wide receiver run. Maybe you could start that run. Yeah, I, I I'm I, I'm not arguing with you. I think that 12 is, has got a lot of value there, and I think there's something there at 19 that I could certainly use. Maybe I could use my 12th and my 19th pick on something like. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I could even get uh, a CJ Henderson and a and a wide receiver at 19. Maybe I could use maybe CD Lamb slips. Maybe somebody I'm else. I'm sure they'll both be there. I'm sure they'll both be there for you. Oh well, I'm sure. Thank you so much for your uh, for your assumption. So I'm going to tell yeah, you this. One I'm gonna minute trade, left on the clock. One minute left. On the I'm going to trade <laughs> the seventh. I'm going to trade the seventh pick and the 38th pick for your 12th and 19th pick. And I'm going to throw in for you, um, I'm going to throw in the 184th pick. That's our sixth round oh, pick. The sixth um, rounder? Yeah, the I'm going to throw in a sixth rounder. You're giving, I'm giving you two first rounders for a first and a second. You got to give me a little more sugar than that to make Hey, listen, happen. man, I got New York. I got the Jets I, on the I, phone. They want to come I, up and get, they want Herbert as a hot commodity. They, I, that's what they want. Look, I, I hear the beeping. I hear the beeping. Maybe Jacksonville's calling. Maybe you should talk to them. All right. Uh, you know what? That's Maybe no deal. No deal. Okay. Click. Okay. That's fine. Fine. Enjoy. Enjoy your bus pick, Marty. Uh, okay. <laughs> do you want to now? Call waiting did have Jacksonville online. Do you want to move on, or do you want? Sure. I only have call? thirty seconds, though. My pick has got to be in. Okay, now this is the one that actually has two trades. I told you it was Oakland. It was actually Jacksonville. Oakland just was aware that Jacksonville had two trades that they might be interested in. So here's the two trades from Jacksonville. Okay. Uh, you can have you can have nine and seventy three for seven. You have, okay. You, you get seventy three. That's a third round pick. Yep. And I get to move up and maybe get my quarterback. Maybe get uh, the offensive tackle I want. The Derek Brown, something like that. So you can move down two spots, still probably get who you know, somebody you like and move down, and then I just get 73. Or this is the other option um, that we trade. my. Tw- I have the 20th pick in the first round. 
So I would I move up to seven. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop you right there, Blake Bortles. I'll take oh, nine and minute, seventy-three. I want okay, nine wait. and seventy-three all day and twice on Sunday. Okay. I will take so, that third rounder to move down two spots. All right. Now I was gonna offer you the twentieth pick and then also the twenty twenty-one Rams first round Rams pick. Oh shit. Seven. Oh, there's so my first curve. Seven. <laughs> seven to Looks 20. like I already made a mistake. Seven is twenty, but you also get the Rams pick. You could have either one of those. So you nine and seventy-three, or twenty and a twenty twenty-one first from the Rams. You know what? Unfortunately, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just be shoot shoot you straight here. If if you had called Matt Rule, he probably would have said yes. But you called Marty Herney. I don't have that much time left on my contract. I need somebody that's gonna contribute right now. I'm gonna take nine and seventy-three. Boom. That's how you make a trade. That's how you make a trade. Now, do I get to call somebody? And now, as the Jacksonville owner, I twist my mustache. Oh, nice. Oh. Um, Josh, now you can be the GM, and you're going to call Vincent with a trade offer for the seventh. Vincent, this call is going to come all the way across the states from an 813 area code. Well, from a 011 area code, but 813. (laughs) That's your NFC South division rival, Tampa Bay, is calling you because they are seeing, they've already seen the number one tackle go off the board. And, and they they're calling you and they're saying, yeah, they're saying we need a kicker to really finish out, to, to flush out our roster. Aguayo is so, the, the missing piece right here, guys. So what they're calling you and they're saying, hey, uh, Marty, listen. Um, We've got the 14th pick in the draft, and uh, I'm gonna. I, I want to move up from 14 to 70 or 14 to seven. So in exchange for for your seventh pick, I'm gonna offer you the 14th pick in the draft. I'm gonna offer you the 76th pick in the draft. That's our third rounder. So you're gonna move seven spots down, and I understand that's probably not gonna be enough. So I'm also gonna throw in. Um, it's a tight end. His name's O.J. Howard, former first-round pick. I know you coveted him. I know he was somebody that you were interested in before. So I'm going to give you 14, 76, and O.J. Howard for that seventh pick. But I am going to need your seventh-rounder back also. So I'm going to need your seventh, the, the seventh pick in the draft and also uh, your seventh-rounder, which is uh whatever it is you might as well have asked for a dvd of wild things like pretty much anything <laughs> like a seventh rounder that's fine great whatever so you're effectively okay. i got the big balls look who look, else vincent, is on this you're, call you're, no this is vincent vincent is playing marty herney i'm playing david <laughs> tepper and i'm i got the i got the i think you call them uh a uh, balls uh, and, and I'm accepting this trade. I, I've just kicked, what is happening? I've, I've You're just Marty in? out of the seat. I've accepted wow. the trade. So th- you're effectively asking me to take a 14 and a third and OJ Howard in space and for a seventh. So that's basically the equivalent of taking OJ Howard rather than a third round pick. And OJ Howard has got one year left plus a fifth year option. So that's basically me giving up a third round pick for two years of OJ Howard. I'm not convinced we're going to be no, super good. No, no, good. no, no. I'm going to give you the third round pick. So I'm no, going to no. give you a fourth, the my first round pick and a third round pick. 
Yeah, yeah, but the gap, but the gap between a first and a third, and what I'd want, I'd want a first and two thirds to make that trade. So rather than a second third, because you don't have a second third, you're going to give me OJ Howard. But OJ Howard for two years, and I don't think I'm going to be super good. And this is a really deep draft, and a third round pick will get me a player just as good as OJ Howard, and I'll get him for four years, not for two, and I'll get him for cheaper, and I can then sign OJ Howard in two years. You have time if I want to. So no. Wow, turning me down. That's why there are no British GMs. I'm just going to say it. You're you're asking way too much. Your T tax is too high, and you want too much for your trade. If you want want to make that pick 45 rather than pick 76, I would happily kick back 148. 148? Hard bargain. You're going to give me 1445, or I'm going to give you 14 and 45. And you're going to give me seven and one forty-eight. Um, you want to tackle? Yeah, you know what? I need. You know what? I I don't care. I got to win. I just saw Tom Brady. I got to win the Super Bowl. You probably could have asked me for more, and I would have. I would have kicked in next year's third. But you screwed up. You got too greedy, <laughs> and you didn't do it. So I will also accept that trade. You just traded the seventh pick and the hundred and forty-eighth pick for the fourteenth pick and the forty-five. That's those are that that trade is confirmed. Send it to Roger. The funny thing is that that trade right there would clear all of the trade value charts, and yet still would be like, "Damn it, Marty! Damn it! What have you done?" <laughs> all right, Vincent. Now you're a GM, and you're going to call Colin with the trade offer for the seventh pick. Oh boy. Okay. I, I have no go idea off the rails what the error so codes fast. are, just as a, as a warner, I, I have no idea what any of the error codes are, but whoever the Jets would be folding from, MetLife or whatever. So, as the Jets... I'm putting you on hold if you're the Jets. I'm just, I gotta make you sweat a little bit. So just, just there's fun. some great hold music going on right now while you're giving this pitch. So I'm sitting here at 11. I need to tackle. Sam Donald needs to stand upright for more than about two seconds to be able to be effective. I've got Cleveland and Arizona in front of me who are both going to take tackles. Now, on the other hand, you know that two of those three teams are going to take tackles. So you're going to move back four picks, but there's going to be three tackles gone and you don't need a tackle. So I'm basically going to give you a third round pick to lose the choice of Simmons, Brown and Henderson are all on the board still. You've got Simmons, Brown, Henderson and three tackles. In the worst case scenario, Jacksonville on one other team takes one of Simmons, Brown, and Henderson. So that means you're going to get one of those three guys at 11. Possibly you're going to have a choice of two, and I'll give you a third-round pick for picking between three guys you'd have taken at seven anyway. What? Where is that Where is that third-round pick? What number is that? Uh, that round? is 68. So, I mean, that's that's close to a second-rounder. That, that deal's done. 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 Don't even – not even thinking about it. Boom. Three trades consummated. All of them – Winners for the Carolina Panthers. There's a call coming in from the 202 area code. Uh, it seems Ron Rivera is looking to, to reach out. Um, just curious. Uh, I, I'm willing to offer pick 66, a.k.a. another thir- early third rounder to, to add to my stash. Um, and then um, what about. Curtis Samuel I'm offering you pick 66 for the third round pick. I'm, I'm a new coach here in Washington. I'm looking for a little familiarity. Some guys that know that I know can, uh, can produce. And I think hey, get Samuel Goodell can... on the phone. I got a trade to report. 
Get, get <laughs> Roger on the phone. Send him a Skype. Okay. Third round. Third round. I, I really I, – poor negotiating on my part, but that may be the third two-hearted ale. Um, I actually wanted to offer you my two fourth rounders, and then I would be willing to move up to the third round. That's too late because you already said third rounder. That's why I yelled, get Goodell on the phone. Fair enough. But would the two fourth rounders get it done? Uh, I agree with you on the third rounder, but would the, I mean, just from a surplus of guys that we have on this roster, I feel like if you could get, get value for a wide receiver that you don't think is a part of your future, you, you're taking it right now. And there's no better time for either Moore or Samuel, whichever route you were to choose. I said it like two months ago. If you're not either extend Curtis Samuel this offseason or trade him, there's no like either one is fine, but just we got to make a move. Yeah, I, th- I think it also depends what you like, what stage the negotiations are at as well. Like if, if you know you're something, like even if you haven't got a deal done, but you have an idea of what the money is going to be. Sure, roughly, yeah. That, that, but if you're if you're going to let him go, apart, yeah, yeah. Or maybe they don't even then, want him. Who knows? I'm just glad we got all these trades done. So excited. <laughs> It'll be fun. Uh, Vincent, <laughs> where can people find you on the uh, Twitters, internets, and whatnot if you would like to be found? I am at vrichardson444. If you haven't listened already, the whole of the Great British Drafting Show should now be available fairly easily um, on the Right Network and the therightreport.com. Um, Vincent, and we've gone through your, every position in the draft. Yeah, from your perspective, what is the hottest take on a prospect that has been featured on the Great British Drafting Show? Um, Jake Fromm is a legitimate option for teams in the back end of the first round. Oh, come on. See, when you say stuff like that, if that's Pat, crazy. He would. He is such a Patriots quarterback. I can't. It, like he. he but they he could draft played, him in the seventh round or in the fourth round, probably. I think all the stuff that you hear is that he is he is interviewed really well, which is unsurprising. He's a guy who is going to interview well. He will come across well to teams. He I'm going to interview great. I'm a great interview. Yeah, yeah. And the, no, I mean, you shouldn't draft a guy because the interview is great. But NFL teams, he is a guy who will go higher than people think he will do, probably because teams will interview him and go, this guy's super smart. And he is super smart. Like he's, If you have an offense that wants to throw the ball down the field a lot, he's not great. But if you look at where... If you look at how the Patriots have been able to be effective, like if you go back and look at, say, the the Super Bowl that they managed to gloriously triumph over the, the Falcons in, that like the way they did that was not by just like throwing bombs all the time, but because they were so good at working quickly underneath and just moving the chains down the field. Like that is where McDaniel's is at his best, and that's exactly what what Fromm does best is that quick passing game, getting the ball out of your hand quickly. It, you know, if if you're the Patriots, I don't think Bill Belichick wants to rebuild. I think he wants to compete again and prove that it wasn't to do with Brady. And I think Fromm gives you about as good a chance to do that as anybody in this draft. Uh, if if Fromm is going to succeed, I hope he goes to New England because I, I agree with everything you're saying, Vincent, about him. I mean, he's a guy that has the leadership and the skills. Like, you know, you try and recreate what would Tom Brady look like 20 years later. It, it, to me, it is Fromm. He showed a lot of poise. He was a leader on a team for that Georgia, that, that Georgia offense. They had been depleted. They, they really had a ton, a ton of young guys this year on offense. A lot of drops. Fromm is a guy that if you're if you're going to make the case for him, it is the Brady case. And if you're going to make the case for him, it's that he doesn't have the, the, the arm strength. Um, but I, I would be really intrigued to see him go to, to New England because 
again, it's impossible to recreate Tom Brady, but I think if you're going to try and do it, it it does probably look a lot like Jake Fromm. They already drafted a fourth round. They already made a fourth round mid round pick. It was Stidham <laughs> last year, so it was he. Stidham was the guy that the Panthers wanted Will Greer to be. Right. Well, but I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying to me, if you're if you're a a From guy, if you're a From believer, that that is absolutely a From head. The best a From head. From yeah. A From lever. A, a From maniac. Mm, um, I like far. that. Um, that if you if you're that guy, that's that's the case. Like you have to build the Tom Brady case because you're not building the he's a phenomenal athlete case. You're building the he's the Tom Brady case. And I think actually like a really interesting way to look at that potentially is if you look at like Joe Burrow and Jake Fromm, like not like Joe Burrow did not have a great 2018 season and Joe Burrow was then put in a, an offense that perfectly suited his skill set. And he is legitimately a very good quarterback prospect as well. Like I'm not doing him down, but that LSU offense was the perfect offense for Joe Burrow. It got the ball out of his hand quickly. It got the field spread wide, allowed him to make decisions with the ball without having to be a guy who was throwing the ball deep a lot of the time or holding the ball in the pocket and trying to force it into windows. Because, again, not a guy with the biggest arm in the world. Whereas Georgia's offense with Fromm, like if you look at the South Carolina game where they didn't do very well, a lot of that is just because there was no one open and they were not an offense. Whereas LSU's offense made things super easy for Joe Burrow and he looked amazing as a result. Jake Fromm looked bad at times in Georgia's offense because they didn't make things easy for him. And if you make an offense that's much more about the quick passing game and less about stretching the field vertically, I think Fromm could have been a much better college player in a different scheme, shall we say. There's no doubt that if Fromm had LSU's weapons this season particularly, that he would be a higher perceived draft pick than he than he was. Yeah, undoubtedly. Um, that's Colin CLT. We've also got Josh Clan Rules with an S. I'm Nikki704. Make sure you check out the Great British Drafting Show. It's phenomenal. Vincent, you're phenomenal. We love having you on the show. This has been One Day Contract, part of the Riot Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. You guys enjoy the draft, enjoy the weekend, and we'll see you next episode. Wash your hands. Hello, everybody. How long can I leave a child? Seven, 